Father, we love you. I thank you that you showed up like you already have this morning. And Father, we continue to respond to you with a resounding yes. Lord, you're speaking, you're moving, your hand is here. Father, your face is here, your embrace is here. And Father, we just want to hear what you have to say. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Things, uh, things happen when the realm, in the realm of the spirit when, when, um, when heavenly things and earthly things align. Things happen. Before I get too far, can you um, go get the stuff off the chair and just bring it in here? I never have fun stuff, but I do this morning. Christians have been very comfortable for a long time with a traditional church structure. And, and, and when I talk about a traditional church structure, I want to I define a couple things, okay? First of all, when I say traditional church, I don't just throw all denominations into a traditional church. That's important. Because I believe that there's some churches that are denominational that actually have an apostolic structure. You with me? I'm going to give some really quick foundation for this. There are some churches, I've seen them, they're amazing, and they're actually operating in the apostolic, and they're in a denomination. There are some non-denominational churches that are a very traditional church model, and they're not apostolic. And so just by saying they're non-denomination or denominational doesn't mean that we throw anybody in a big category. I want to get that out before I get further, because sometimes I think people take a, a negative feel when I talk about this, and I don't want to ever feel like I'm just slandering like a non-denominational versus a denominational. But one of the things that we have to understand is that Jesus said that you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. It just doesn't work. There's a bit, yeah, you got it, cool. And if you're praying for a move of God, we're praying for a move of God. How many of you are praying for a move of God? How many of you, I, I am expecting, I feel like God's getting ready to do a sovereign outpouring of a spirit. And when I say a sovereign outpouring, we've seen them all throughout history. And there, there's something where God chooses a time and a season that he just releases an outpouring of his presence. And we've seen them. But here's the thing. I don't know that we understand that when we pray for that, any time that there's going to be an outpouring of the spirit, there has to be a structure change first. Because you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. He said it, not me. And so people that, people that don't like change, it's, it's, it's funny because like they pray for revival and outpouring. It's like, man, you are just basically praying in a lifestyle of change. That's what it is. It shakes things up in the church. It shakes up status quo. And things begin to happen. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that our prayers can't be answered without a changing of a wineskin. And so first I want to just talk, I don't have time to go through the history, but if you were to go back through your history, you would see that the church has changed a lot. Some for the good, not so for the good, but a lot of changes have happened throughout the history of church. Matter of fact, um, historically, we even see about every 500 years, there's some really big changes that typically happen. It's an interesting pattern. I don't know that I have an answer for it, but the first 100 years of the church were headed up by apostles. But we saw something. When the apostles began dying off, they began to replace them with bishops. And right there, we began to see a switch happening. Around the year 1500, and I'm not a big history guy, but I'm going to give you this because I feel like you need to understand just how things have changed through the history of church. Around 1500, we began to see that most countries had their own form of Christianity. 
When Christianity came into our country, into America, that's when we began to see denominations. Denominations were formed in America. They were not formed in foreign countries. As a matter of fact, foreign countries didn't even begin to embrace denominations until not that long ago. They still had different states of religions. Okay, so the idea of denominations started here, and it's just now even beginning to, not just now, but recently, as far as history is, it's just began spreading more broad. And so the traditional church this morning that I'm referring to is a certain kind of structure. So when I say wineskin, I'm talking about a structure, right? You with me? When I say wineskin, I'm saying that anytime God moves, there has to be something that can facilitate a move of God. I see more churches get hurt and burnt out because God begins to pour out a spirit and they don't have a structure that can hold it. And then people begin to get hurt and then people begin to get burnt out. And what happens is, is I think that so often God in his grace and in his mercy doesn't just dump his spirit out on us and say, I hope you can figure it out. You still with me? And so in this traditional structure, I'm going to talk about it a little bit because typically in the traditional structure, there's one leader, and it's typically a pastor. A pastor is in, in the Western culture, American church that we're all very familiar with. There's a structure where you have one primary leader, and that primary leader is the pastor of the church. Pretty much the term pastor is the word that we think of of leadership in the church. You understand what I'm saying? People think if they're going to be a leader, just put the name pastor on the front of it. It's kind of like, you know, I'm the pastor of the church. I am the teaching pastor, which is always kind of a contradiction to me. But, um, you know, <laughs> I know a friend that's called that. And um, there is the different types of pastors. Because why? That's what we have recognized in our current culture as leadership in a church. You with me still? The problem with that is, is that's not what the Bible lays out as far as God's design for the church. A lot of people have changed it because they said we don't need the fivefold anymore because it said until the fullness of Christ, until the unity of the body. We are not unified yet. It's, that doesn't even take like a prayerful answer. Well, let me pray about that. No, you can go to 12 different churches this morning or, this week, or the next two months and you're going to see we're not in unity yet. There's not a spirit of unity yet. So the Bible says that he gave the five different gifts to the church to bring unity. And the traditional church model says that when we visit a church, we have some things. We immediately question things like, who's the pastor of the church? Because he's the leader of the church. I want to know about the pastor. Does the pastor teach weekly? If he doesn't teach weekly, why is he not teaching weekly? And we have this really familiar model that we're used to, right? You pretty much, you probably, that's pretty much what everybody in here has seen if you've been going to church for a while. And so... It's what I'm going to call this morning more of a traditional church model. Now, I want to take a look this morning at what I'm going to call the apostolic church model. And I'm going to give you some examples of how this, I believe, how it works. Let me say one more thing. How the traditional church model is, is that the pastor gets his authority from the denomination. It's important to make note of. A pastor gets authority in a traditional church, a denominational church model through its denomination. How does that look? A kid, usually a young adult, looks like they've got promise on their life. They want to go after ministry. They go to a ministry school. They go to ministry school. How many know that ministry school doesn't make pastors? Pastors can go to ministry schools. But ministry schools don't make pastors. <laughs> I'm going to push you guys all over the place this morning. So just, just the more you amen me, the quicker it'll be over. It's like a Band-Aid. Just, 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 
Uh, I slow down when I think I'm getting friction, and they're like, please don't slow down. But so you, you send these guys or these gals to ministry school, and they say, we see the purpose of God on their life, and they send them, and they get trained up, and what happens? Then there's a church that needs a minister, so what do they do? They contact the ministry school, and they stick that person in that church. This is primarily the this wine skin that we know how church works. It's hard to find a lot of this in the Bible, actually. But it is the wine skin that we've become familiar with. And so, I want to look now a little bit at the apostolic church. If you have your Bible, open up to Ezekiel. But you didn't think I was going to tell you to go there. There was Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to have some fun. Now, Ezekiel 37 is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible just because it is really, really cool. <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 says, And the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of dry bones. Everybody say dry bones. Dry bones. And he led me back and forth and among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, <laughs> Prophesy to these bones. I love it when he puts the answer back on Jesus and Jesus puts it back on him. He's like, can these bones live? You alone know. Then prophesy. God's good at that. He said, prophesy to them and say this, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath and enter you. You will come to life and I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and come over your skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. I feel the presence of the Lord on that. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. <laughs> that was just the instructions. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, he said, prophesy to the breath. And prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe in these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. This gives me chill bumps. I got it like all over my body, guys. I, I think that we can make these scriptures into like things we've read so much. I want you to see this picture. He's been taken into this vision, and he's looking, and he, he doesn't just show it to him. He walks him through, back and forth. We don't know how many times he walked him through the bones. I wonder sometimes how many people come into churches, and they walk back and forth, but then they just leave. And he walked them back and forth, and he said, here's what you want to do. He said, you're going to prophesy them to life. And there's a, there's a model here, and, and, I, and I, <laughs> I hate to use traditional church with dead bones, but I'm going to do it. Because it's just, there's some things in it I think we need to understand, but I'm not calling them all dead. Please don't misunderstand me, but there's some things we have to understand here. These bones represent people. And when the word of God speaks into bones, 
flesh come on them and they assemble into the proper places. I want you just to take this passage and consider this passage as actually the transition that takes place when you go from a traditional to an apostolic. There's something that begins to happen. There's a gathering often of these bones that people come in and they're just dry. I mean, dry sometimes. I love it when people come in and they're just dry. It's like, I just want to see them just filled and life spoken into them. I don't, I, 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 some people come up and almost apologize. I'm just so dry. I'm like, great. You're in a wonderful place. Like it won't last long. You're going to be really refreshed. I mean, if you didn't feel refreshed after that morning worship service, like whole. And so what happens is, is the bones, he begins to speak. And things begin to happen. And, and the initial result of a church that experiences the presence of God together is life. The thing that begins to happen is life. If there's anything that I could say, I, I, I do not understand. I'm not the best at all of the church building models and all of these things. But if there's one thing I understand, when I get a group of people together and we experience, I mean, a presence of God, people begin to feel life. They begin to feel life. They may still have some issues, and we may not have to work through some things still, but they begin to feel life. And what's happening, the initial transition is beginning to happen where God is beginning to bring you into something that is new. And so you begin to feel life. You begin to feel God. He's near. His love begins to fill you. And something's happening. He's breathing on those dry bones. And flesh and tendons are starting to happen. And people are feeling it on the, You can feel it. I can feel it when I'm in a worship service and somebody next to me was dry bones and all of a sudden he just breathes on them. I can feel it. And this is the beginning of God restructuring a house. And what God desires for the church, and I, and I believe he makes it clear. He says it in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28, if I got the right scripture. And God has placed... In the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, help, guidance in different kinds of tongues. And he goes through this scripture, and God begins to lay out an apostolic model now that's more than just, just come get in the presence. He's like, I'm going to begin to give you some things, how this is supposed to flow. And so God actually begins to organize the apostolic church. And he says that the head of the church would be an apostolic voice. Then there'd be a prophetic voice. And there's teachers and evangelists and pastors. There's help gifts. There's administrators. There's miracle workers. And after these bones begin to come to life, something's happening. They begin to assemble. And there's a big difference. This, if you hear anything right now, hear this. There is a very big difference between a gathering of people and an assembly of people. There's a very big difference. Let me have that. My, Mikey's going to help me out. All right. I got something fun. This is so often your gathering of people. It's not that bad, all right? And it just came out that way. I don't even, okay. Well, you can put it down there when he builds it. Thanks, bud. How many of you know you know what the potential of this is? Nobody in this room is looking at this saying, I wonder what that is. I think most people understand it's an airplane or a glider. That 
hopefully won't break while I'm using it. <laughs> Most of the time, so often we have just a gathering. And people, when you're just gathering, this is really big because I find that the danger of gathering is, is people don't feel purpose. They don't feel like, what do I do? What is the purpose? What are we doing here? Because we're just gathering. I mean, it's like, okay, it's a pile of parts. And so God begins to do something. You get to be God. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Begin to do something amazing. <laughs> I had him practice before we did it. <laughs> One of the feelings that becomes very strong when God is moving us from a gathering to an assembly of people, an assembly of believers, is people begin to feel like, where is my place? And it can be, listen to me, I'm, it can be frustrating because it, sometimes you have to wrestle through it. I wish, I, 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 I often talk to people and like, where's my place? I'm like, man, I wish I could just like, just, you know, flick you in the head and, I, and you know it and I know it. Like, I, I don't know, but sometimes there's, there's this wrestle involved. It's like, God, where's my place? But something begins to happen. All of a sudden, what was just a second ago was just a season ago was just this gathering of bones. He said, prophesy. And life will begin to happen. And then all of a sudden, they started coming together. And next thing you know, you begin to have people saying, I'm starting to feel where I fit. I'm starting to understand that I'm a leg, that I'm an arm, that I'm an eye. And I'm starting to feel like I need to do something. You see, people that just want to be a part of a gathering will feel, oh, you'll feel awful in an apostolic church. <laughs> the sermons will be like verbal sandpaper to you. Like, you're going to be like, I just want to come and be. That doesn't fly in an apostolic house. No pun intended. <laughs> it just hit me as soon as I said that. But it, it doesn't work. <laughs> because... <laughs> I really didn't mean that. It genuinely just came out. And I was preparing for this, and I was thinking about the words, and I was just thinking about that prophetic word when I got that text. And I hold on to little words. Maybe you don't, but I do. When I get a little word from somebody across the country who texts me on a Saturday night and says, hey, I'm praying for you. just want to let you know the Lord told me in this fall the gate is going to soar. I begin to pray, and I begin to see this thing in Ezekiel. And I begin to see him showing a model of transitioning. Listen, we're not there yet. I'll be the first to tell you, we're still moving. It takes time to transition. It takes time when you're in a culture that wants it a certain way. And you're, 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 you're going for it. And people are like, what are you doing? What are we building? I'm like, sometimes I don't really know. But all I know is I see an assembling happening. Does it fly? Where all of a sudden, things will begin to fly. And things will begin to soar. And you could take those dry bones and you can throw them and they're nothing impressive is going to happen. And we come together and God is saying, I'm assembling, I'm assembling, I'm assembling. And when God begins to assemble his people, they want to fly. And those of you that are praying for God to do something new in the earth, we've got to wrap our head around this, that there has to be a new wineskin. There has to be a new wineskin. And you will also see this. It always happens. There will be new leaders raising up too. It always happens. When I say new, I'm not saying disqualify as old. I say new as in that season. People that you've never seen before, people that are new to you will begin to rise up. You'll begin to see them. 
something begins to shift. And one of the biggest mindset changes that we have to wrap our minds around in this season is the structure of an apostolic church. It's very different. It's very different, and it's very hard when we have grown up. Almost everybody in this room, maybe everybody in this room has grown up in, that, in the model of a pastoral-only church. Now, some churches welcomed the fivefold more, but they never put them in their structure. They may have embraced apostles and prophets, but they never really wanted to put them in their structure. And so this change has to happen. And one of the biggest things in this change is honestly actually in the pastoral ministry. Because I don't believe that the pastoral ministry was ever meant to be one head honcho. I really believe the pastoral ministry was supposed to be something that flows throughout the house. I genuinely believe that houses should have pastors everywhere. You won't have trouble with people having a heart for kids because kids' pastors will be rising up and youth pastors will be rising up and people with that pastoral heart will begin to come out of the woodwork why because they begin to understand i have a heart to pastor i don't know how to teach very well but i have a heart to pastor i don't know how to necessarily structure the finances for a church but i have a heart to pastor and you'll begin to notice, actually, in an apostolic church, I think it's, a, I think it's completely false, the idea that in an apostolic church, there's less of a pastoral ministry. I think there should be more. Because I think if you're actually raising them up, they'll be everywhere. So whenever someone says in this apostolic model, you know, it's not, we're not just pastoral. If you don't have pastors, you're going to have a miserable church. I have met people that have amazing giftings, and I always ask them, I'm like, Okay, they're stuck. They're really stuck. They're struggling to get over. Usually like 25, 35 people, they're trying to get off the ground. And you'll find a common theme. There's no pastors. It's led by a great teacher, great apostle, great evangelist. And they're phenomenal. But there's no pastors. Why? You need the pastoral heart. You need the pastoral heart. This changes the flow of things. It flips things around. I just, I want to show you this. Just for a quick, thanks so much. So this is kind of, this is kind of what I put together. What just, just a much more of a traditional model. I'm just gonna hold it a second, but we can stay over there in just a minute. Man, you guys are on it. Wow. I'm gonna be. <laughs> That's what happens when the prophets are hearing the Lord. All right. <laughs> I knew you were gonna need that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So often what we have is, is I want you to imagine you've got the church down here and you've got the funnel from heaven. So often what we're familiar with, I put prophets and apostles in just to be nice. Often they're really just invisible. But just for fun, I put them in there. And so often we've got a pastor. So what happens? When you come into a worship service on a Sunday morning and you're worshiping the Lord, I could put together a pastor and an evangelist next to each other in the same worship service. The pastor is feeling the love of the Lord for his people. He's feeling all God's saying, all he's going to do in them, how they're going to grow, how this is an atmosphere to grow. And the evangelist right next to him is like, we got to go reach out. Same worship song, same service, but it's a different grace. And so what happens is, is often when you have it from the top down, the first one is the one that's really filtering what's coming from heaven. 
And then you filter it down, and sooner or later, it will get down to the people. Now, a lot of times, this is a very short line. It may just be a pastor. A lot of times, we see a pastor teacher. Sometimes we see pastor evangelists. Those are really, really, you know, great ministries. And may I say, this order is not like best to worst or anything like that. This is just a flow. Okay? You see, how it's supposed to work is it's supposed to flip upside down. And what we should see, he said, what he say in Corinthians? He said, first apostles, second prophets. Okay? So I'm just going to put this here. Some of these can move around. Don't, don't hold me to it. But we do know that these need to start here. And there needs to be a flow. Why? Because the apostle is the one that's hearing from heaven, and they're hearing structure. Apostles, apostolic giftings, they see things way down the road. They see things when, like, when, when, when um, others are having a hard time with it. They're like, that's going to cause a lot of friction. But the apostle is like, how could we not? And others are like, are you willing, are, do you know what it's going to cost? What's the, you know, the apostles like, we have to. And then you have often the prophets who are helping steer the ship. Amen. I want you to see they're almost helping navigate. It's like a navigator, okay? Yeah. And they're helping saying, have you thought of this? I feel like this. Have you thought of this, Turn. Have you thought of this? And so often what we're supposed to be seeing is we're supposed to be seeing this apostolic, I call it a funnel. And often the pastors and the pastor should be close to people. Yeah. They need to be near the people. It's so important. That's why when I erase this and this and this and this, and I just have apostle or prophet leading the house, there's this big gap. And people are like, wow, it's so amazing what you're saying, but I don't, like, my marriage is in trouble. And, like, that's super cool, but I need help. And I remember hearing one time, I remember hearing the story from Danny Silk talking about, um, Danny's just a hero of mine. He went out to Bethel, and he said when Bill brought him out to Bethel, um, there's a really funny story because Bill had actually been pastoring in Weaverville. Then he brought Danny on staff in Weaverville. And like a month later, the Lord told Bill he's leaving. And he left the church to Danny. And Danny's like, did you just leave me here? Like, stick me in this church and leave me here? And so sooner or later, he brought Danny over. And he said, and this is Danny word, Danny's words. He said, if Bill and Chris, who's an apostle and a prophet, can't just say shaka baba and it fixes the people, they have no idea what to do. He said, they were a, he said, so when I came in, and Bill said, we need a pastor, and he said, I got an office. He said, there was a line around the block for people that needed counsel because this was missing. It doesn't mean you can't build a worldwide ministry, but you can't build a healthy body. And so there, there's, there's something that we have to begin to understand with how this works. And so these bones begin to come together. The structure begins to come into place. And what we begin to feel is we begin to feel unity. You begin to feel unity in the spirit realm. All of a sudden, you begin to worship, and it's like, I was feeling that. Then the worship team went that way. Anybody else do that? Like, you're feeling it, and then they do it, and like, oh, I felt that too. And then people begin to say things, and the pastor or somebody, AJ or Pastor David, come up in the middle of worship, and they say something. It's like, I was feeling that. And you begin to see the manifestation of unity in the house. And people begin to get unified. Why? Because the bones are coming together. The flesh is coming together. We're going from a gathering to an assembly. And when unity happens, things begin to shift. 
He wants us, says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, says this. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. You were baptized in with the potential of you needed to be in the body. I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but any movement that has to do with removing you from the body is anti-scriptural. It's not him. He said, I'm baptizing you into the body. I want you to build up the body. And we are called to be a part of a body. So something happens when we begin to be unified. Our hearts begin to mold together. Are you still with me? I know this is a lot, and I'm moving quick. There's a couple things that happen that I believe that I have seen throughout the years that take a body of people, a gathering of people, and it molds them together. The first one is worship. There was such a unity in this room this morning when we were in worship. I could feel the hearts connecting. I could feel it. You could feel it in the room. Anybody could feel something was going on. You may not have known what was going on, but you could feel something was going on. Hearts were being connected. There's something. I remember one time Tiffany, um, we had put, uh, she, we'd put all of our Christmas stuff into a, we have like all these crates in our attic for Christmas, like 2,000 of them. And um, my wife is all about Christmas. I mean, like, putting up Christmas crates is like a week job. Like, I, they sit there for days, and I stare at this stack of tech, and I look at them, and she slowly begins to put them in my way. And so, like, I can't even get up the stairs, and I'll shove them a little bit to the side. One year, she put a bunch of candles in there, and I remember it had gotten really hot. And uh, next year, she's like, where's the candles? I'm like, found them. And it was this blob of, like, different candles shooting off. And one was shooting this way, and two were hanging that way. And what had happened is that the heat had molded them together. So now you could still see that there were individual candles, but they were brought together. Some of you know where I'm going right now. Something happened when the heat came. Something happened when we worship, when we're in the presence. I can feel it. Hearts begin to mold together. People begin to click and you begin to feel something happen. When you leave a powerful service, you can't explain it, but you feel more connected. You, when, you, when you leave a boring service, you do not feel that connected. I'm being honest, and I've even had a couple that I felt like were boring. And I've been in some, and it's like I leave, and I'm not like, man, I feel connected. I'm like, man, time's the football game. Like, I, it's just your mind is not there. But when the presence is there, you see it's different. It's completely different. And people begin to bond and people begin to connect. And something about the worship, when you tend a church that never experiences the presence of God, the bond is not the same between the people. It's not the same. The bonds are created on things like common interest. What are you interested in? What do you want to do? What's this? You want to go, oh, you like that kind of stuff. I like that kind of stuff. But when you go to church with the people that you worship with, the bond is strong. Even if you can't explain it, you might even be able to come away and say, I really don't know that many people, but my heart feels connected. And, and that drives you. You say, I need to get to know more people, but I feel something connecting. It's this, it's this bond. And in return, it's hard to get people separated. 
it's hard to pull people away. So one of the things that builds connection is worship in the presence. Another one, believe it or not, is offering. I'm telling you, another one is giving. Where your money is is where your heart is. True story, end of the day. Where your money is is where your heart is. When a bunch of people come together and they decide, and you work hard for your money. I don't know that there's anybody in here that just has easy money. At some point, you've worked for it. It's a lot of work. And when I invest my money into this place and someone next to me says, me too, you almost begin to become partners in the spiritual realm. It says, let's partner together. Let's advance this thing. And you can feel it. I can feel it when I take up an offering. There's certain elements of a service where I feel unity happen. Worship, offering. It's another one. I can feel it in the room. People begin to unify. And when you make that decision, I'm putting money in a church, you have invested your personal authority into the house. So offering, here's another one. One of the things that I find that brings the most connection in hearts is unity in trials and tribulations. This is a big one. The enemy doesn't ever learn. Every time he tries to bring trial and tribulation into a church, it's like him throwing a Hail Mary and hoping that it works because one of two things is going to happen. Maybe he'll get a little leeway, but typically when people pull together and say, we're not doing that, you feel a connection. It's not just in church. We just remember 9-11. Do you remember the feeling of unity across your country when it came under attack and the people came together from, they didn't care who was what, liberal, you know, republic, it doesn't matter. That didn't matter. We're coming together. Something happens when attack happens and people, instead of questioning everything, say, no, we're coming together. We're pulling together. And one of the things that I find that connect hearts is unity through trials. I see it all the time. If you've been in church very long at all, trials happen. Tribulations happen. People are here. Problems will happen. When you accept that, you'll get over the shock. Some people are like, did you hear what they did? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, trust me. It doesn't shock me. I'm not happy about it, but it doesn't shock me. Why? Because we're people, and people are growing. It doesn't bother me, but one of the things that happen is people mess up. People say things they shouldn't say. And now we've got this great big old platform called social media where when you say it, you don't just say it to your friend. You say it to thousands of people. And then things have taken off, and it changes. <laughs> Unity in the face of struggle will deepen a bond like nothing else. I see it with parents. They can either pull together or pull apart. They've got a child or something, and what are you going to do? You see it with the church. There's issues. What are you going to do? And when you pull through, you look back. doesn't mean you turn your love off towards people. We're really ruining it if we turn our hearts off towards people. But we're saying that your issue is not going to become my issue. And I'm not going to let you tear this apart. And you're building a unity. You're building strength. Churches who face accusations and trials, they end up stronger on the other side. 
I'm going to start bringing it in for a landing here in a moment. <laughs> Another pun. I, I'm, t- I, I'm on fire, and I'm not even thinking about them. It's amazing. My little airplane, there's an authority and anointing on that little airplane. It's like shifting my, my, my language. <laughs> Something we need to understand is that God wants a people. He's always wanted a people, not just a person. I'm going to sit on this one. God wants a people. God wanted a people with a nation of Israel, and they chose a person, and they sent Moses. God didn't want Moses. He wanted a people. (laughs) Something that we have to understand that I think that is a very big struggle in our Americanized culture is that we live focusing a lot on the person instead of the people. Listen, I understand. We need to be able to focus and at times help the person. I get that. I I believe in that 100%. But God isn't just coming. He's not just looking for a person. He's looking for a people. There's a movement that's going on, and I'm just going to address it. And it's already been addressed online, and I'll address it here. And it's something that's very concerning to me because it's called deconstructing the church. I've watched, I've watched, I've read just tons of articles on it. Um, guy online, Sean Foyt, Foyt, did an awesome job of like just getting opinions from everybody, like pouring in. And what gets behind it is, is that the church, the idea behind it is the church is screwed up. We need to rip it all apart. The problem is, is that there's no plan to build it back up. That's why people think they're tearing it apart. And I've read stories of people that deconstructed their faith to the point where they were separated themselves from community. They separated themselves from their faith. They separated themselves from what they had, their church and what they believed. And people ended up in a place where they realized there's nothing at the end of this. People, people, there's, 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 stories of people that commit suicide at the end because they said I have taken everything I know and thrown it out and then realized why did I do this I believe and I'm preaching to you on the whole concept of changes need to happen in the church but we're not coming in to just say we're just going to tear it apart it's still his bride you do realize even if she's got mud on her dress She's his groom. He's her groom. And I'm not going to come in and tear apart his bride. If I need to come in and say, can I help clean that mud off your dress? I'll do that. But I'm not going to rip it all away and say, you're not the bride. And the heart behind it is to pull us away. It's to pull you away. It's to pull you away. Why? God is always about a people. The enemy is always about getting you alone. Because he knows there's an authority in a people that isn't there in a person. That's where, I'm gonna, that's where we're heading towards in a minute is the authority on the people. Because I've preached to you about the fivefold. I've preached to you about the authority on the offices. But there's also something about corporate authority that's amazing. 
You see, when this, when this structure begins to happen, we begin to experience something in the body that's called an apostolic anointing. Now, this is where things get fun. This is where things get cooking. And fun happens. I want you to, where do we start? Where do we hit this? We got a little bit of time. When people are operating in the apostolic anointing, you begin to see something. People raise up people, raise up people, raise up people, raise up people. And the apostolic begins to operate, and all of a sudden, you begin to see something. Although you may be a pastor, you're a pastor operating in the apostolic anointing. And now, what does the, okay, what does the apostle do? The very name apostle means being sent. Their focus is on how do I get you where you need to be. Like, man, I see the gifts on you. Just, whew, let's do it. And that's the apostles. They're like, let's do it. Let's do it. Why are you sitting around? You need to do something. What's your gifting? Why aren't you doing it? That's what you do. Do it. Now, on the other hand, sometimes we have messes, and the pastors are like, maybe you should have taken that slightly slower. And then the apostles are like, yep, probably. <laughs> but you've got this anointing that begins to operate, and all of a sudden, people begin to raise up people. Then you begin to see things taking off. Why? Because the apostolic anointing is in the house. And you begin to see leaders anointing operating in that anointing. And when this happens, we see rapid momentum. Rapid momentum. Why? Because here's what it looks like. You got Joe that's over the greeting ministry. This is Joe Schmo. You got Joe. And Joe's over it. And Joe's job is to find people that want to be a part of the greeting ministry. So Joe finds this great group of people to be a part of it. That's great. Now they got them. Now they start serving. Now in an apostolic anointing, now those people start saying, I need to find more people to be a part of this. I need to begin to raise more people up because I'm experiencing what God's doing, just greeting people at the door. And now an apostolic anointing begins to operate just in our greeters because they're not saying, well, hey, Joe, that's your job to find everybody. You're getting really quiet on me now because this apostolic anointing works everywhere. It's not limited. You scared me. It's just, man, I was like, whoo. You can tell she does a lot of the scheduling. She's like, come on, Jesus. And all the leaders are like, amen. So. But it's how it works. I can see it, man. I can meet a person. I know when they got the apostolic because they just find people. They just doesn't mean they're an apostle. They just walk in the apostolic and they find people. Matter of fact, people even find them. They'll draw them like a magnet and things begin to happen. Shifts begin to happen. But here's the thing with it. Here's one of the, the most dangerous holes that we can fall into in an apostolic house is that everybody, and, I, and I'm saying this, I feel almost awkward saying this, but I have to state it. Everybody wants to pull here. And here's the cap that you get into. See, in the old model, everybody pulls here because you don't have half of this. Okay? When you begin to have the apostle up here, everybody comes in, and what happens is it doesn't matter if it's apostle, prophet, teacher, it doesn't matter. They say, who's the senior leader? I want to be their best friend. Laugh all day. I'm the one that has all the emails and messages, and I love them. I'm honoring you. I'm honoring you. But here's the thing. Leaders only have so much capacity. You probably, so many people have asked even personally to get together, and I so badly want to get together with them. They're amazing. 
amazing people. I don't want any dishonor right now. But what happens is, is when we begin to put a culture on where everything has to flow back up to here, we begin to actually churn off the apostolic anointing. Because what you've done is you've created a system where instead of the rapid momentum that comes in the apostolic atmosphere, we say, I have to have it just from here. And then we begin to have troubles. It doesn't matter if the apostle's on top or the prophet's on top or the teacher's on top. It doesn't matter who. It's a flow. It's a flow. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us tied up. I've met people before where at the end of services, um, they often don't want to be, um, not honestly, it hasn't been here in probably at least five years. So it's not happened recently, but they come up and they don't want to be prayed for by like the prayer team. They want to be prayed for by leadership. And I'm like, why? I mean, honestly, why? Half of them pray better than me. Like, like seriously, some people are like, am I on the half? You know, no. <laughs> we'll just leave that for you to figure out. Um, <laughs> these people are trained and equipped for what you're doing. Me, post-service, my brain is mush. I just preached for an hour and people are like going into deep conversation. I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot your name already. Like, I'm like, my mind is just mush right now. And what happens is, is then what happens? Offense comes in. Well, I, you know, we get offended that the, the leadership's not treating me the way. Listen, I hate to break it to you, but if we're going to be an apostolic church, it's not going to all be about the leadership. It can't be. It can't. Can I tell you one of my greatest secrets that no one knows? I would seriously be happy just to sit here every week and watch things happen. Like, I, I'm cool with preaching, but I just want to be a part. I'm really like just want to be a part. I come in and I just sit here and I watch the worship. I'm like, do I really go to this church? Like, this is amazing. And I'm not driving to get a hold of somebody or, or to reach somebody that's important. I just come here and I want to worship the Lord. And what happens is, is when people focus their attention on just trying to become in this tight knit with leadership, there's covenant relationships all around you that he's like waiting to put you in. Can I tell you what the Lord told me? Let me bring it home so you don't feel offended about this because I can feel it floating in the air right now. Um, let's just pop it. Because the Lord taught me this because he told me this about me. And he told me this. I was at a leadership meeting, and I was in a room full of leaders, and, like, my hero, Danny Silk, walks in through the door. I was in the back, and he, like, it was, like, at 8 o'clock in the morning meeting, so in California it was 5 a.m. He looked half asleep. And he leans over against the door next to me, and I kind of have, like, this fanboy, like, oh, it's Danny. Oh. And, and the Lord tells me something. He says, John, he says, I didn't invite you into that circle. He said, are you okay with that if you never are in that circle? That's a little bit to swallow when you're like, and it was like just a boop. He's, but he said, I have invited you into a circle, and I have a circle for you. He said, but that's not going to be your circle. And what I, ha what I find with people is they all want to get into a certain circle, but I need to be in my circle. You need to be in your circle. And what happens is, is when we do that, you begin to find, man, like there's such, something's happening. Something's happening because I'm in my circle of the people that God's put me in. You still love me? Please don't confuse this for, I don't want to hang out with people. I love people. I love, 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 love people. Love people. I can hear my wife saying things in the front row I'm not going to repeat. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Let's finish it up on this. How do we send leaders then? 
How do we create and equip and send leaders? Because if the traditional church is what we've known as send them into Bible college, Bible college finds a, a school or a church and they send them, how does an apostolic church do it? First of all, let me tell you a statistic that will scare you because it scared me. At this point in time, over 87% of college students that are coming out of Bible college are only doing one year or less of ministry and quit for life. 87 plus percent do one or less years and quit. I believe one of the things that we have to learn how to do and the danger of just sending people is we're not planting people. I meet people that want it. They, they feel the grace on them. They want me to send them. But I don't want to just send them out into open territories because I want to see them planted. Like when we had Jordan and Ashley here and God opened a door for them and we talked. We talked a lot and we spent time together and they shared with me. And I said, I, I want to bless you guys into this. And they came up here and we said, I just we want to bless you guys and plant you in that thing. We still talk all the time. They still text me. This is the greatest example I have because it's recent. They text me. They call me. Our hearts are still connected. See, when we send, it's often like a—it's like we send them off, but, but into what? See, the apostolic wants to plant you. Wants to plant you into something. And it's different than just sending. Obviously, sending's part of it. I believe this is important because you're going to see people in church that rise up. We're going to have people that keep going through this church that's apostolic that rise up, and I see the gift on them, and I see that they're going to be taken somewhere else. It's, it's just part of an apostolic church. You're going to see people that raise up their apostolic, and you're going to see that they're ready to go out and start, go for something on their own. Why? Because that's what they're called to do, and we're going to bless them. But God, I believe that, I honestly believe that the training ground for people in the church should be in the church. I honestly believe that the training ground should be in the church. I believe we should be able to equip them in the church. I believe we should be able to empower them. Are we there 100%? I didn't say that. I'm laying out structure and vision for you that we're going to pour all of our energy into. And there's details that have to be put together, but they should be raised up in the house. And sometimes they'll go through it and say, man... I can feel God's taking you here. I just want to bless you. See, it flows differently than just taking someone and says, you know, I'm just going to send you off to a big old world of Bible school, and then they're going to send you somewhere. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying that almost 90% of failure rate, something ain't working. And we need to pray that the Lord will guide us, not just this house, denominations as well. He would guide them because we need them. We can't be unified in the body if we think we're better than anyone else. We need them. We need them. And something important is to understand where is your influence. The Apostle Paul said in Romans eleven thirteen something most people never read. He said, I'm talking to you Gentiles and as much as I am the Apostle to the Gentiles. Notice that he knew his realm of influence. He said, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. This is really powerful because when you begin to try to operate in your gift in the wrong realm of influence, 
it's dangerous for you and for people around you. People often will come into different houses and different bodies. And um, here's a good example. Um, Harold Eberly, who's just amazing, and so much of what I've learned has come through him. So much of what I've learned is through him. He actually has a book. It was the first book he ever wrote was called The New or Complete, The Complete Wineskin. It's a little tiny book, and it was his first one like 30-something like years ago. And it's really good. He said something interesting. He said, I am an apostle to people in this country. He's a missionary. And to this country, into these different foreign countries. He said, I also go to a church. And he said, it's an apostolic church that is actually a denominational church. And he made this remark. He said, I am not an apostle in my home church. I am a church member in my home church. He said, matter of fact, I am the short, fat, bald guy. And my home, this is what he says. That's thought it was hilarious because he's like, I'm the bald, short guy in my church. He said, now over here, I am their apostles. I'm their apostle. Here, I'm a church member. One of the frictions that we run into is when we, have, we don't have the discernment to recognize I have the grace, but where is my influence? You see, I have people that are amazing giftings. But it may not be that they're called to be the prophet in this house or they're called to be the teacher in this house. But they may teach in this house from time to time. And they probably will prophesy. You see, the enemy wants to get in any way he can and bring offense and a rift because he, his end goal is to separate. Everything I've talked about today, his goal is always to separate. When this happens... When we begin to see this unity taking place, when we begin to see this apostolic church happening, we see the bones coming together. We've gone from a gathering to an assembly. We begin to see the structure. We begin to see the flow from heaven. We begin to feel the connection in the hearts. When all this happens, there begins to be what's called a corporate authority on the house. And this is, this is amazing because a corporate authority begins to impact regions. This is big. You ever, there are churches out there that when they go out and do evangelism and stuff like that, you can tell there's just something, an authority on them because everywhere they go and they evangelize, people just get saved. Why? There is, a, there is a corporate authority on them. When there's a church that begins to move in a corporate authority, hearts begin to come together. The flow of heaven has been established. The apostolic, the prophetic, the teaching, the evangelizing, the pastoral, unity happens. And next thing you know, next thing you know, a corporate authority happens. And things begin to shift. Miracles begin to break out. Strongholds and regions bow down to corporate authorities. They do. They do. And often we focus on the authority of a man or a leader when God is saying, I want more than a person. I want a people. I want a people. The gate is not John Matthews. The gate is not John Matthews or any other leader under John Matthews. The gate needs to be a people. If we're going to be an apostolic church, we have to be a people. God wants to pull the people together. I feel like I've just poured out about everything I got. I am passionate about this. I am so passionate about this. If there's three things that I could say is, is everything to me, one of them is that we understand who we are in this better covenant. I think we breeze right through it when Jesus at his final 
supper said, the blood, it's that new covenant. Why am I doing this? You need to understand the new covenant. I feel, I feel old covenant always trying to kick back in somewhere or another. It's like this subculture of it tries to get back in. And we have to realign and say, I got to remember who I am in Christ. I got to remember who I am in Christ. Another thing is the fivefold grace, seeing people equipped. And the last is an apostolic church. This is what we need to be, this is where we're going. I'm, I'm, I'm laying it out for you pretty honestly this morning and pre- as openly as I know how. But this is where we're going. I will say this at the end because I need to. Um, this church has, has, um, has been through, the enemy has really went after this church in the past year. <laughs> He's really went after it in some areas. And there is, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to just use absolute wisdom right now. There have been things that have happened. We've had um, staffing changes that were hard that were hard and a lot of accusations that even were, were unfortunately very not true. But the Lord gave me this word very up, right up front and he said, John, don't defend yourself. So I, I, I and I, I, don't, I have no desire to, I really don't. I, I just don't. But I've watched something beautiful happening is as the enemy has tried to come in with accusation after, and I mean, I could tell you the masses of, I can tell you emails that have been sent out that have been lies. I could tell you just so many things that the enemy has tried to come in and plant deception. Because he is, he would not do it if he wasn't worried about what God's going to do here. If, if he was on cruise control, he'd let us go. Like, if he's like, you're fine. But there's something that bothers him. And I have felt relationships being tested in ways that were strong, like uh, they're stretched. <laughs> and I have felt the stretching in my spirit and I've watched it and I have just watched from the side in some ways and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. And some people say, well, why haven't you made statements about more of this? Well, I'm funny about statements because sometimes I believe statements actually just put the highlight the devil. And I'm so cautious of it because I don't like, I don't like doing that. But I will tell you this, that um, there have been things that have said and things that have done that, um, that we're very sad about, and people that have left that we very much loved, and we still very much love. And they're going to watch this video, <laughs> and that's why I'm so careful what I say, because I want to give honor to everybody. And people that have left, people that have gone out, some of them very upset with us, um, we continue to love them. And we're going to continue extending our love towards them. But we are not going to be sucked into the enemy's scheme over this house. Because we have too much kingdom to advance. And so we love them. We bless them. There's nobody I can't bless. The Bible says, and not that they're my enemies, but he says, bless your enemies. There's no one I can't bless. And so some of you are sitting here like, what in the world are you talking about? You're really great if you have no idea. Good for you. <laughs> so, um, but I'm excited where the Lord's taking us. I'm honored where he's taking us. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I'm honored about the team. And you're going to begin to see things. Here's what I'm prophesying. You're going to begin to see structure take place rapidly. I feel it in my spirit. 
I just feel it. I feel it. He's going to begin to put together a new wine skin. Why? Because it has to be able to hold the wine of what he's getting ready to pour out. And you're going to see it. And some of it will look different. It will look different. But I don't see how you go from glory to glory without the renewing of your mind. And I don't see how you renew your mind without changing the way you think. Amen. Let's stand up. Thanks. That was the most public statement you'll ever get out of me. <laughs> and can I just say this? Whenever, and this goes for the future, anytime anyone leaves a church, this one, any other church, my hope is always restoration. I will do everything in my being to see people restored. And I will do my best to always operate from a place that makes it where they can be restored. And so that's always my heart, is restoration. And that's my heart for everyone, so... Father, you've spoken. Well, I've I've spoken what I felt like you gave me to speak the best I know how. And Father, I declare in the spirit realm that today a line's been drawn in the sand. And you've welcomed us into something great. And Father, I pray that you would begin to take, Father, the dry bones. I speak to the dry bones. And I declare life over them right now. I declare to every area of your life that may even have a dry bone, I declare life. I declare life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would breathe on you. He would breathe on you. He would breathe on you. I pray that you would be able to anchor into him. In the time of the in times the seasons of being challenged, some of you even you're trying to find you find where's my place? Where's my place? Where's my place? Where's my place? I pray that he would highlight to you things, he would speak to you things, and he would give you a grace that you need. And I pray that the apostolic anointing that you have set up for the house of God be established in this place and father we embrace what you have created the church to be and we will not turn to the left or the right we will not be distracted by what the enemy tries to place in front of us but we stay focused on you we stay focused on you now I pray for connections in the spirit realm right now Right now. Can you just hold the hand of the person next to you as a, as a prophetic act as we close out? And Go ahead, guys, if you've got something back there. In Jesus' name, I pray that a unity would be built in this house. That would be so strong that the enemy would just look at it and really have to just think about, do I want to even try? I pray that our hearts would be unified. I pray that our giftings would be connected in the way that the Lord wants them connected. And I pray over everyone in this house that God, you would take their hearts and begin to mold them together. Mold them together. Mold them together. 
we're safe in the presence of God. Breathe on us. Breathe on us. I feel just a, a weight, a pause right here. something about he's breathing in those dry bones he took him into a vision and he said breathe into him I feel the breath of God in this house I feel the breath of God I feel the breath of God cleansing I feel it refocusing I feel it just washing away trials and tribulations and focusing us breathe breath of God breathe by the authority that God has given in this house and in my life, I establish the plans he has for this house. We establish the plans that he has for this house. In the name of Jesus, I establish the plans he has for this house. And there are plans on this house that will not be stopped. The enemy will not stop it. And I declare and decree that it will move forward. I declare and decree that relationships will be mended. I feel where they have been broken and I declare healing anointing would come in and mend relationships. I pray that you would experience a grace and mercy that would overflow when you feel the breaking of a relationship that when you, you feel it, there's just this, this grace and mercy that rises up in you. <clears throat> I, just, I just declare that in Jesus' name and I bless you. I bless your families. I bless this house. And Father, we say thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you are doing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.